time you eat, there's always rules in every family has. You've got little secrets, little things you do. Every time my family goes out to eat, we have basically uh, two rules. Uh, number one, when we pray, uh, we hold hands. Now, sometimes that makes other people feel, I'm not even on. Maybe that's a fairy tale. You think that was the problem? We're very professional here, Seth. <laughs> Our family, when we go out to eat, has two basic rules about eating and praying. Uh, when we pray, everyone holds hands. That always makes it a little awkward because everybody that comes with us, they don't have to, but they feel peer pressure to hold hands with us. And I usually end up sitting by a man, and that man's always very awkward because he finds out he's holding the preacher's hand. And you have to hold my hand because I'm the preacher. But the other rule we have about praying is this, and feel free to judge me or disagree with me. Our rule in praying is we only pray for something unless it's had parents. Meaning, unless it's meat. We don't pray for vegetables. We don't pray for just stuff in soup. If it had a parent, a chicken had a parent, a cow had a parent. So if it had a parent, we pray for it. If you don't, then you get stuck and you pray for a salad. Don't, don't pray for salad. That's not real food. Right? That's weeds. You're supposed to spray that with Roundup and everything. Uh, but if the food had a parent, we pray for it. That's one of our basic rules in our family about how we do that. So that would have been a lot funnier than when it went with the video, but hey, just pretend. Anyways. Let's get started today as we talk about family gatherings and eating as we talk about the Lord's Supper today. Our family gathering thought is this. Families gather for important events. Families gather for important events. We gather for joyful events, joyful things like weddings, joyful things like babies being born. We had that happen in our church today, this week. Joyful things. Uh, we gather for miraculous things uh, like your child graduating high school. Right? Uh, we've got people missing today because there's graduations going on, and some of them are they're like, oh, I have to be there when they graduate because, you know, a couple years ago they were kind of adding up credits and thinking, oh, that's my. And so we gather for miraculous things. We also gather for uh, sad events. Uh, we gather for things like funerals and going away parties and things that gather like that. In Matthew chapter 26 is where we'll be today. An important family event takes place, and a gathering takes place. We call it the Lord's Supper. Now you say, why is what happened in Matthew 26 an important event? Well, this is an amazing thought about Matthew 26, what we're going to see. This is the last Passover. Now some people will and some people still celebrate. But this is the last official Passover taking place. And it is also the first Lord's Supper taking place. Simultaneously, the last Passover is complete. And here we have the first Lord's Supper. The Passover meal pointed to a future event. The Passover meal pointed to Jesus coming. They would take that lamb into their house, and a male spotless lamb, and then they would kill that lamb, and they would take that blood, and it represents what they did in Egypt, and they would prepare that lamb, and they would know that lamb, and losing that lamb would be an issue on their family, and that lamb was Jesus Christ. Amen. It is John the Baptist when Jesus comes there to be baptized, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. All the Passover meal was pointing towards the cross. But the Lord's Supper, well, the Lord's Supper points back. We remember what Jesus has already done. Where the Passover looks forward, the Lord's Supper looks back. You know, it's interesting as we read Matthew 26, an amazing thing takes place. The people that are reading it have not 
celebrated the Passover in over 30 years. Because they are Jewish believers. And once a Jewish person accepted Christ, they stopped practicing all the Old Testament things. They stopped practicing the Passover. For 30 years, those people that are reading Matthew chapter 26, they had not practiced this for over 30 years. This is a big moment that our Gentile ears doesn't always understand. So let me give you some basics about the Lord's Supper if you're taking notes. I'll give you three things as we start our message here. Basics of the Lord's Supper. Number one, the gathering is for believers. The gathering is for believers. At this time that we're about to read, Judas has removed himself from the group. Uh, after Jesus calls him out, it cross-references John 13, uh, 27 and 29. And in John 13, 27, it says, And Jesus said unto Judas, That thou, thou doest, do quickly. And in verse 29, the disciples reasoned that as Judas left, they thought, well, since he holds the bag, he's the treasurer, no offense for it. As he holds the bag as the treasurer, he's probably going to get something to prepare for the Passover, or he's going to make an offering to the poor, it says in verse 29 of John 13. But today, when we take these elements, you need to understand, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to let him pass by. If you are here and you are playing a game, I don't know a better way to say it than just simply playing a game. Maybe there's a kinder way. It just doesn't come to my mind at this moment. But you know in your heart that you have never truly accepted Christ and everybody thinks you're saved. There's this verse in the Bible that well, it should scare you. And the verse comes out of Romans. And in Romans 8, 19, it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. A, a little side note, that verse very clearly tells us that not everybody's a child of God, correct? You have a physical birthday, but you need a spiritual birthday. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. But that says right there that some people can sit in a good Bible preaching church and have an amazing pastor. I don't know why they're laughing, Mark. And yet still never come to know Christ as their Savior. You said, Pastor, see, that could happen. Judas sat under Jesus' teaching. Judas watched Jesus make it, perform miracles and do things time and time and time. And yet, he walked away from it and was not a true believer. Today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, the first thing you understand, it's for believers only. The second basics about the Lord's Supper is this. The elements are symbolic. The elements are symbolic. Jesus will say in John chapter 6 that people will have to take his body and take of his blood. There were a group of people listening to it, and they did not have spiritual desertion, and they didn't have spiritual ears, and they think he's talking about cannibalism, and they stop following him, and Jesus will say to his own disciples, well, you leave me too, and they come back and say, well, where else can we go? Because you are everything. What else can we do? Today, I would like to emphasize to you that we will use the symbols here to remind us of what Jesus did. Symbols are important in the Bible. The cup is important in the Bible. It's an important symbol. Dr. James Vernon uh, McGee, uh, he said that during the Passover, this was his interpretation, he said that during the Passover, as they sat not at a table like the painting says, they would lounge and, and, and put their feet away from the, the table, that they would pass that cup around seven times. 
And it was his view that at the seventh time after they passed it around, that is when Jesus will take that cup and institute what we call the Lord's Supper on the seventh time going around. But that term cup is it's very important. There's a lot of symbolism that takes place. You see, it also says at the end of what we're going to read today that they sang a hymn and departed. Now, this is not biblical rock-solid proof, but tradition, tradition says that they probably sang Psalms 112 through 118. That's a tradition. That might not be accurate. We might get to heaven and they sing Amazing Grace. Who knows? But Psalms 112 through 118. And there's a passage in Psalm 116 that I couldn't help but think about. In Psalms 116, 13. If, if it was what Jesus was singing just before he did this, after he did this and instituted the Lord's Supper and the cup, it says in Psalms 116, verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And again, they sing without musical instruments. And, and in my ADD mind as a child and stuff, get a little creative. I just wonder if this was what Jesus sang as he was singing that about the cup. And, and, and maybe as they came to that, that he sort of paused and, and maybe the, the, uh, reflected on what was about to take place. I know he thought and did reflect because it is again in the garden. This name cup, this terminology, this symbol cup will come again when Jesus is there in the garden in Luke twenty two forty two, when he'll say, take this cup from me. And again, he uses that same terminology, this cup. A little side note, I personally believe it's often been debated and discussed. I believe that moment was Jesus' deity pushing back from the concept of being made sin. Other people disagree with me. Smarter people disagree with me. When we get to heaven, God will explain how I'm right. But that's my personal opinion here. But let me just say this to you. The elements here that we are going to take will not become Jesus' literal body and blood. The elements are symbolic. But the new life, the new life that the cross brings is real. Amen. Number three, the third basic of the Lord's Supper. It creates a humble response. The Lord's Supper is not magic. I don't want to discourage you, but you will not leave physically healed from taking the Lord's Supper. But that is not the point of this, of physically healing you. The simple point of this is to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. There's this wonderful verse in the King James, and I'm a King James guy, if you know me. But the King James says it so well. Listen to this wonderful verse that Paul, the Apostle Paul, will say about himself in Romans 7, 24. He says this. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Meaning separation from God in eternity, the second death. Paul, the Apostle Paul, looks at himself and he sees what his sin really is. And his response to the, the depravity that he has and the holiness of God and his inability to ever to bridge that gap. His response as he writes in Romans is this simple word. Oh, wretched man that I am. I, I know you're a nice person and you dress so, so, so wonderfully. But you need to know that you're a sinner. You are a wretched man, a wretched woman. Now, ladies, I want to let you off because some of you are like, yes, there's some wretched men around. But ladies, you also, the Apostle Paul, who was a lady, would also say, oh, wretched female that I am. You are a sinner separated from God. 
In our concept of sin, we hike the water down. But in the presence of God's holiness and his purity, no sin can exist. And Paul got a glimpse of that. He saw some of that. And he writes here, I am a wretched human being. And I think of this and I think, how could you love me this much? I mean, I know me and I don't love me this much. No one loves, well, maybe my mother, but no one loves me more than me. And I would never love me this much. It is so easy to miss this humbling moment at the Lord's Supper. You know, even his own disciples missed it. Here they are, he's instituting what we're about to do. Here they are, and, and just moments before they start having an argument. And their argument isn't over who gets to love Jesus the most, who gets to feed people, who gets to share the gospel the most. Their argument is this, who would be the greatest in the kingdom? You tell me that these people aren't Baptists. <laughs> Look, we call so much of our experiences when we gather, we call our worship experiences celebrations, right? Okay, don't misunderstand me. Nothing wrong with celebrating today. Nothing wrong with calling our service a celebration service. That's okay. But this is what I want you to walk out today. I don't want you to walk out celebrating. What I want you to do is I want you to walk out humbled. Humbled by realizing what Jesus did for you and the, the extent of his sacrifice and what it truly was. You say, what's the big deal? Why is humility so important? Write this down in your notes. Humility causes us to see with clarity. Humility causes us to see with clarity. Uh, when we're proud, we, we, we think of ourselves and our own thoughts and our ego gets in the way. Right, ladies, men? Right? I'm so glad ladies aren't like this. So that's why none of you wear makeup. But, anyway, uh, but when, we, when we're proud and everything, we think of how this is going to affect me. How does this do me? And what will I get out of this? But when we're humble, a humble heart, all that fog and indecision, just, it just completely goes away. And we can see clearly. Uh, I've never known a humble person to get into a fight with another church member. Or hold a grudge. But that, I, I can't. That's my brother in Christ. That's just not another person. He also has been, been saved and been covered in the blood. He knows what it's like. We're, we're the same partakers. When you experience that, you're humble. And I've never known a humble person to argue. It just clears up everything. A humble person never holds on to private sin. You walk out of day, you celebrate, you can kind of just think about everything that was done for you and everything. But when you walk out of here humble and you've got a private sin issue, something your wife doesn't know, your kids don't know, your family doesn't know, I'm picking on the men today, aren't I? Something nobody knows. And you walk out of here, listen, if you walk out of here humble, you will not be able to leave here and walk out of those doors with this sin because you will see the sacrifice of Jesus and you will look at what you're holding on to and say, this is worthless. Oh, wretched man that I am. And you know, I've never known a humble person who's ever been turned away by Jesus. The first step to salvation is humility. The first step to God using you is humility. So with all that in mind, let's read this passage. Let's read these the events. Let's start in verse 25. Then Judas which portrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? 
And he said unto them, Thou hast said. And at that point, Judas gets up and he leaves. In verse 26, And then we were eating. Jesus took the bread, unleavened bread. It, it, the leaven represented sin. His body was going to represent had no sin in it. You need to understand this. Jesus did not become God. Listen to me. Jesus did not become God. He always was God. He was there in creation in Genesis 1. He was always the Son of God. He had no sin. He was born of a virgin. You need to know that. I will allow you to have different thoughts and ideas and everything else. You can even drive a foreign car into this parking lot. I won't like you, but you can do it. But you need to understand something. In order for you to be part of this body of Christ, in order for you to teach, in order for you to have any position of leadership, you must agree that Jesus is and always was God, was sinless and virgin born. His body had no leaven in it. And he blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said this, take, eat. This is my body. You could cross-reference this with John chapter 6. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and saying, drink ye all of it. Why? Here's the symbolism, verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. Uh, in the Old Testament, by the way, that's where Jesus is operating right now. In the Old Testament, anytime there was a covenant made, uh, there had to be the shedding of the blood of an animal, uh, a bull or a lamb or anything else. It was important. It depended on the animal and stuff. This sacrifice that Jesus is making here will be sealed by his blood. It will be sealed by the Lamb of God on the cross. Uh, a lot of people argue about what type of te texture Jesus' blood had. Because you understand that you get your blood through your father. And Jesus' father was God. And so his blood was not Mary's blood, but it was God's blood. And people argue about what Jesus' blood was like. Uh, tradition and superstitions have come up with Jesus' blood landed in a place and, and flowers bloomed. There's a whole bunch of things. The Bible never says any of that. I don't know if you put Jesus' blood under a microscope, if it would look different. I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't care. All I know is that God shed his blood on the cross for me. Amen. Back here, the New Testament really starts with Paul, what Jesus is described in verse 28. You almost want to, don't do this, but you almost want to take your Bible where it says in Matthew 1, 1 of the New Testament, you almost want to take a razor and cut it out and put it right there because that's actually where it begins at the cross of Jesus. Here we have in verse 29. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, we're going to jump into, just a, real quick, won't be long, some of you theology is not your thing, that's cool, uh, but I want to jump into eschatological thought for a second, okay, that's like rapture, end times thing. Real quick, when he talks about the kingdom, a few millennial thoughts here, a first thought of this, if you're taking one, notes, number one, uh, the millennium is a real physical place. The millennium is a real physical place. Jesus believed that. It's not a spiritual thing. There's a group called amillennialists. We are not an amillennialist. Uh, not all amillennialists are liberals, but all liberals are amillennialists. And he says that this is just a spiritual kingdom of God. No, there will come a time and a place, a thousand-year reign of Jesus after the rapture, after the tribulation. Jesus comes back and he sets it up. I will be there. I hope you're there. He said, how do I know it's real and physical? Jesus says he's going to drink there. Second thing about the millennium is this. The millennium is a future event. There are some groups, and I'm going to use this word carefully but on purpose, uh, they're heretics. And, and, and what they say is that they can bring about the millennium themselves and make this world so great and conquer and take over this world. Be very careful some of these preachers you hear that talk about the kingdom. 
This is what some of them are talking about, that they can bring about the kingdom, that the church can be so great and so powerful, we can take over government institutions and schools and everything, and we can bring about the millennium. Be very careful about that. The millennium only comes after the tribulation, after the rapture, and after the second coming. Jesus brings the millennium, not us. We are not getting better, we are getting worse. And I skipped over this thought, but this is an amazing thought. I, I don't have an answer. I've read a lot of people's opinions, and I don't think they have an answer either. But it seems very clearly there in verse 28, during the millennium, the Passover will be reinstituted. It, it says very clearly, Jesus says, I will drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. How that's going to take place, I don't really know. And, and there's a lot of things about the end times I don't fully understand and don't fully know. All I know is this, I'm going when he comes. And my sins have been forgiven. And all this other stuff is going to work out the exact same way God wants it to work out. He's going to toot, and I'm going to scoot, and I'm gone. <laughs> and then look at this in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, again, I, I, I fall into the category, I could be wrong, but people who believe this is Psalms 112 through 118, but I could be wrong. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out in the Mount of Olives. Interesting, Mount of Olives, if you go here, end times, that will be where Jesus steps foot in the second coming. They go out in the same place there. So when a family gathers, when a family gathers, if you're taking notes, we'll give you two things as we conclude today. Number one, when a family gathers, it creates peaceful unity. It creates peaceful unity. The Lord's Supper is our opportunity to remember what Jesus did. But it is also our opportunity to unite and rally around the cause of Christ. The gospel is this. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You may have a head knowledge of it, but may say this to you. Have you received it and you have a heart knowledge and you have your head a heart experience with Jesus? It is not enough. There will be so many people, and Jesus says this about the end times himself. There will be so many people that he stands before him. Lord, did I not do this when I was a teacher? I was a pastor. I went to church faithfully. We did all this in your name. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. I say to them, don't leave today without knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that you've been forgiven and you're going to heaven. There's a lot of things I don't know about this world. There's a lot of things. I, there's... Listen, the things I don't know about women could fill a book bigger than this room. But there's one thing I know for sure in this, this universe. I know I'm forgiven, and I know I'm going to heaven. Now, remembering a sacrifice, when we remember a sacrifice, we just had this last week at Memorial Day. It brings out the best of people. When people see a sacrifice, we remember, it brings out the best. This took place at Atlanta Braves game. Matt, it really pains me to applaud people from Georgia. But this took place in the Atlanta Braves game, and it kind of went viral this week, and people talked. They, they have it at their, their stadium. I don't know if it's every week, but this took place on Monday during Memorial Day. They have a seat designated, set aside for uh, missing in action and veterans. It's a really cool thing that the Braves do. It's really hard for me to think that a National League team is good, but that was a really cool thing. And they had there, I don't know if they have it every day, but at least on Memorial Day, they had an ROTC uh, young man standing there. Kind of like that Tomb of the Unknown Soldier type stuff. And he just stood there, and he stood there at attention the entire time. Well, it began to uh, rain, and where it's at, it's not under the awning and cover. And, and somebody took a picture because uh, another man saw that, and he saw this soldier standing there, and he went and took that umbrella, and he held that umbrella for that soldier. 
so that we wouldn't have to be whacked. And if everybody was just so amazed, you know what did this? What caused this type of unity was the sacrifice of our soldiers. Uh, you look at this picture, and there are two different uh, uh, gen, two different races, a black soldier, a white man. When you see that, you don't see race. I mean, you don't even see gender here. It doesn't matter if the soldier had been a female or the person holding the umbrella. All you really see is unity, and all you really see is Americans. That's awesome. <coughs> I did the uh, prayer, opening and closing prayer for the Memorial Day thing at the, uh, the Clarkston Cemetery, the parade. <coughs> Not as many people there as last year. It was really hot. But it was really cool. I looked out there, and I didn't see men and women. I didn't see young and old. I didn't see black and white or anything like that. All I saw was Americans. And what united everybody was not a politician. No politician could ever do this. No cause, no anything. What united everyone <coughs> in this country and in that group was the sacrifice of our soldiers. Sacrifices unite people. You see, uh, oh, I'm so glad our, our cross is the center of our church. At the foot of the cross, <coughs> there is no race. There's no white, there's no white Jesus, black Jesus, and Asian Jesus. So no, there is no race. At the foot of the cross, there is no gender. God doesn't look at you as man, woman. He doesn't. All he sees is a sinner who needs him. At the foot of the cross, all there is are forgiven people. And what unites us and rallies us is when we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And when you do that, you know what you do? Like that man holding your love? You hold your brother up. You love your brother. Lastly, number two, when the family gathers, we imitate Jesus. We imitate Jesus. I, I love the phrase, and I, I wanted us to be known like this as a people who are about the words in red. It's an old phrase, about the words in red. And the words in red, if you remember the church, you know those are the words of Jesus, right? What it's basically saying is, you know, there's, there's political issues churches get in and some social causes they get into and everything. But what they're saying, and when we're about the words of God, what they're saying is we are about Jesus. Let me remind you, we're, we're, we're finishing up our cafe, and this is going to be on the wall in our cafe and different things eventually uh, when we get it done before the rapture sometimes. But when we get it done, this will be on the, the purpose of Oakland Woods. And this is, throw this up here. The purpose of Oakland Woods. Oakland Woods Baptist Church is about Jesus. You don't have to be Baptist to be here and be part of us. Aren't you glad you don't have to be Baptist to go to heaven? Yeah. But if you're going to go, go first class. <laughs> but you don't have to be. You don't have to believe everything Pastor Steve believes. You don't have to like the same things. You don't have to dress the same way. You don't have to wear Mark, you don't have to wear a suit. Amen. You don't have to wear a tie. Why am I wearing one? But anyway, uh, you don't have to do any of that. But Oakland Woods is all about Jesus. We are about studying the word of God that reveals Jesus to us. We are about reaching the next generation for Jesus. That's our purpose. That's what we're all about. You focus on that. You know what that, you know what that does? We keep that simple point, and it brings so much clarity when the decision time comes. It just brings so much direction. It just, it just underscores and, and reinforces the, 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 the main emphasis of what our budget should be. 
It reminds the pastor of what he should be preaching about. It tells every Sunday school teacher what should be the overwhelming, underwhelming theme of every lesson, of everything that goes on, everything that we do. Yesterday, uh, we have a homeschool group, and I volunteered, and I was here, and they, they did their graduation thing here, and I turned the lights on and did the PowerPoint and everything. You say, Pastor why? Because you love homeschooling and you love these kids that much? Uh, Mark, they were annoying this year. I, I, they were really annoying. But the only reason we do any of that is because it gives an opportunity to us at some point, in some place, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Congrats. We give out Easter eggs. Doris, plenty of time still. We give out those Easter eggs at the Easter egg hunt. You say, why do we do it? Because, because dentists in the area pay us off to get cabinets. <laughs> we don't do that that way. We do that as an excuse to bring people in here who would never be in here just to say, hey, we love your kids, and we love the opportunity to tell your kids about Jesus. We do the, the, the fall festival coming up. We do VBS coming up. You say, we do all of these things because of tradition. If we just do it out of tradition, let's stop doing it. I'm not against tradition, but I'm not doing anything just because of tradition. I want to do everything that we do in this church to tell people about Jesus. It could be a directing thing. Like right now, if you're here and you haven't heard me talk about Jesus, shame on me. But there's indirect ways and opportunity. We had a group that went out and helped the yard clean up a couple weeks ago. You guys were great. Why did we do that? Because we love senior citizens? Yes. But we had an opportunity just to bring Jesus and maybe get a chance to share Jesus with somebody. Everything we do is about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, studying about Jesus, and reaching the next generation for Jesus. We imitate Jesus. You leave today, I want you to imitate Jesus. Let me tell you a little story. Um, I, I'm doing better. I'm not preaching while on drugs today, but I'm doing better for my surgery. But uh, I've been holding on to my side a lot, you know, and uh, sometimes it hurts, sometimes it doesn't. I've been kind of holding on to this last week was really difficult at home, and I just kind of, I was doing that old Dan walk. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's kind of like this. And so one of my little girls, Kylie, one of my little girls, she's just, you know, I'm walking like this, and she was just, she just, but she doesn't talk super clear all the time, but she said this as clear as can be. She goes, this is daddy. <laughs> That's her mother. Her. Anyways. You know what? You leave today. See the sacrifice. Walk like Jesus. Talk like Jesus. Love people like Jesus. Forgive your daughter-in-law like Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Amen. I had a real great experience this week about family gathering. My pastor, Don Gregory, went home to be with the Lord. 88 years old, preaching the gospel for over 60 years or so, I guess. And uh, I want to tell you two things that happened that remind me about how great it is to be a Christian, to be part of the family of God, and to be part of the local New Testament church. Number one, I'm gonna, he's not going to like this, but I'm going to say, Gary drove me. And uh, he said, I know it's going to be emotional for you. And he was right. I was really glad he did. And uh, the other reason I love what he said, he said, you know, but I know if Roger had been here, Roger would have came. <coughs> I thought that was great. 
It's nice to be part of a family, isn't it? Yeah. I had another great experience, and I, I walked in there, and there's like uh, seven, eight hundred people at this funeral and stuff like that. By the way, how many people are going to be at yours? Like seven, eight hundred people at his funeral and stuff. And I thought I'd see some people I know. I was there for seven years in a huge ministry. And uh, I told Sandra, I said, I think I got a small experience of what heaven's going to be like. Gary, you saw it. I, I come in and I go, Brother Steve, because that's what they call him. Brother Steve. And hugging the uh, kids I hadn't seen in 12, sometimes 15 years. They got old. I looked the same. Kids running up and everything. I had one little skinny little girl. She's looking at me and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to know you. And she told me her name. I'm like, whoa. And she grew up to this beautiful young lady and couples and everything. I just went. I said, I told Sandra, I said, that's, that's just exactly what heaven's going to be like. You know, grandma and dad and Jesus. And just that experience. And it was just such a, a wonderful experience. But one of the things that just kind of helped me the most, and uh, one of the young girls, and she hugged me and was I told Gary later, uh, she's a beautiful young girl in high school, and really sweet. She ended up marrying the guy she was dating in high school. And they're, they're doing a, he's a police officer in this school, an area where you teach. He's a canine officer in your township over there. And what's the name of yours? No, not, not you. You're white. The better one. There you go. There you go. Same question. He's a police officer. They live over there and stuff like that. And uh, she kind of reminded me about the story, and this was so cool. And she said, uh, do you remember how I got saved? And I was like, oh yeah, this, this was such a great thing. She'd been coming, you know, around our youth department for a while. And on a Sunday night after church, by the way, you should come on Sunday night. No. But on a Sunday night after church, we went over as a group, just hanging out, went to McDonald's, and I was walking by, and somebody said, Brother Steve, come here. And I came over there, and she's like in the front of one of these other guys' cars, and, come, and she's crying. And I, my first reaction is, I'm gonna punch you. What did you do to her? <laughs> and she's crying and stuff, and she goes, I want to know Jesus. And so right I didn't have a Bible. So right there in the McDonald's parking lot, I held her hand and she's in the car and I'm out of the car and I got to introduce her to Jesus and she accepted Christ as her personal Savior. When is the last time you walked away with that type of emotion and that type of feeling and that type of humility? I just want to know Jesus. I don't want my way. I don't want what I think. I don't want anything. I just want Jesus. I hope you walk away home with today. Be by your head and close your eyes. The air is going to come. The instruments are going to come. This is what we're going to do.